Is your microphone facing the right way? Yes. I'm using my microphone to talk to you. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you do sound pretty crisp and clear. Thanks, man. Hello, and welcome to the Interstate Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, a.k.a. K-Slugs. My name is Peter, a.k.a. A Deal For Real. And I'm also your host. Yeah, we're excited to be back with you guys for Season 2. Season dose, baby. Yeah. Um, so, Season 1 was a blast. We had a lot of fun bringing you guys that content. Ten amazing games, which we rated. So amazing. So Let's 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 uh, do a little bit of a recap here. Let me let me order these games in terms of the ranking, and I'll go. I guess I'll go from ten to uh, to one. How's that sound? From lowest to highest. That yeah, we'll do that. Sounds pretty good. And if you guys want to follow along at home, you can just go to tiny <laughs> tinyurl.com slash ig ratings, and you can find all of our ratings there. Yep, yep. So unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately for Peter. At at number ten right now we have Tony Hawk's Pro Skater sitting at so eighty two point six. And then next at number nine is Pokemon Stadium at eighty three point five, which is kind of, it's tied with Mario Kart sixty four actually at eighty three point five. So I guess you would Ooh. call that they would both be eighth place, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then at seventh place we have Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, uh, at eighty seven point nine. So at six is Roller Coaster Tycoon at ninety point five. Then at point one, point one rating better <laughs> is Metroid Zero Mission. Uh, and then going up from that is Stardew Valley um, at ninety point seven. At number three is Banjo Kazooie ninety two point five. Yeah. Number two is ninety two point eight at Star Fox sixty four. And then our number one game for the Interstate Gamers right now. Sitting on its throne is Super Mario World um, at a ninety-six point three. <laughs> yeah, so we've <laughs> we've got uh, we've got a, quite a list of games here. So we are we're looking to add to this list. I'm very excited to bring you guys this season. Stay tuned to our Twitter to see uh, more cryptic hints about what our episodes <laughs> will be. <laughs> More cryptic news articles about Rollercoaster Tycoon immediately before we record <laughs> Rollercoaster Tycoon. Right, yeah. I don't know if you saw the uh, tweet I posted about uh, this week's game. I don't know if I should reveal. Let's, let's, let's talk about the game we're going to do first, and then I'll get to that. Yeah, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Potato. So this is a game uh, that I would say, actually I was doing some research yesterday as I do, and many people consider this game to be one of the greatest of all time, and I think that I agree. Uh, we'll talk about why I agree later, but also what you think of it. This game was for the Super Nintendo. It was released in 2002. Or sorry, 1992. I was off by a decade. It was remade for the Game Boy Advance in 2002, which is what I was thinking of. This is an entry in the famous Legend of Zelda series that is none other than a link to the past. Heck yeah. One of my buddies, our good buddies. Our good buddy. Best buddy, Z-Link, a.k.a. Chris, um, who you can find on, at the Twitter handle, Z-Link Gaming. 
Um, but yeah, he loves this game, and it's his favorite game. He speedruns it as well. Yeah. So because of all this, we thought, hey, you know, we need to do our homie a solid, and let's give this game a good old-fashioned IG review. And I was excited to play it because I'd never played it before. So uh, yeah, very, I was very looking forward to playing this game. I never finished it all the way. I, I had a friend in uh, middle school who had it on his SNES, and so we would play it sometimes, but I never really had it for myself. Um, but I did pick up the Game Boy Advance port, which I think is a very good port, and I guess I can touch on that a little bit. It's not really all that different from the original version. Um, but yeah, I loved this game. I feel very grateful, actually, that I own it now. Like It feels like an important game, and now I have it, and that that's a good feeling to have, I think. Yeah, for sure. I was actually looking at uh, the Game Boy Advance differences, and I really, I really liked what I saw. But very recently, I had bought. Well, actually, I should back up a little bit. I started playing this game on, I think, my Wii, and then I said, uh, "I'd really like to play, you know, on a handheld." And I said, "You know, Game Boy Advance would be great." So I tried to find it on the eShop for my 3DS. I thought it was going to be the Game Boy Advance version, but it wasn't. But that was okay. I was like, you know what? It's still better. It's handheld. Let's go. So I started playing on there. Of course, that's a virtual console, so I have save states. And uh, uh, this is my second time playing it through. And so then on my third time, uh, I had my I had Chris come over and help me <laughs> try to beat it because uh, I I was kind of pressed for time. And uh, so the third third playthrough was on the SNES. Or sorry, I say that wrong. I know I do. Y'all make fun of me for it. The <laughs> SNES um, mini console that I recently bought, uh, which so neatly hooks up to my H- uh, new 4K TV. Damn. So uh, I was playing some good old-fashioned LTTP on my high-definition TV. Um, and so Chris helped me beat it on there, and it was, it was a blast. So I played it like three times, effectively, on three different consoles. Damn, son, you got the whole rainbow consoles <laughs> yeah everything but the actual console it was released on itself <laughs> <laughs> everything but the kitchen sink where the kitchen sink is actually the SNES. <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun not only just to play through the game myself but um to have like a, a, a person who speed runs the game and knows all the cool tech uh showing me all the the ropes as well yeah like a spirit guide kind of you know, I've always I've always thought that Chris should be my spirit guide. So I'm envious of the relationship that you two have built on this game. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I have to confess, yeah, uh, we have such a good relationship that uh, even one time when uh, we were pulled up to this red light, right? And Chris is such a homie, you know. We pull up to this red light, and uh, I'm driving, and he's in the passenger seat. And he's like, "Dude, you know, you know, you can turn left if uh, the light's red and there are no cars coming, right?" And I said, "Oh, you can." He's like, "Yeah, dude." And <laughs> so I was like, I legit believed him. So I turned left on red, and uh, then he started to like completely laugh at me and uh, call me an idiot. But it, it well deserved because, you know, that was stupid of me <laughs> to believe. And you were not turning onto a one way street, to be clear. Yeah, no. Uh, it was it was like a T bone or T T road. I don't know what you call those. Yeah, T bone. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, because you can turn left on red. On a onto a one way street in most places, I think. Oh uh, well, no, this so. place was definitely illegal because like everybody in the car was like, <laughs> "What are you doing? You actually believed him?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, Chris is my homie. You know, you gotta, be- you gotta <laughs> stay true to your homie's word." Chris is going mad with power. Yeah, yeah, he, he actually knows Chris. he can uh, take advantage of me now. 
<laughs> well, anyway, enough about Chris. Chris, we wish you were here with us, buddy, on this episode, uh, but we're going to try to do you right. Uh, just the two of us. Just the two of us. Um, I do want to say one thing before we get into the ratings, that uh, this game is the third Zelda game. Uh, the first one was for the NES. The second one was also for the NES, but the first game and the second game were very different. Uh, the first game was kind of like this one. It was kind of a top-down uh, roam the world, explore type of thing. But the second game in the series was a platformer, so pretty different, although it still had kind of a roaming exploration aspect. Um, so in some ways, this game was kind of a return to form of the first game. But it did everything better and did everything very well, in fact. And I can't wait for us to talk about the gameplay. Kevin, are you ready? Hell yeah, man. Let me get right into it. So right off the bat, I kind of noticed this game was much more strict than most Zeldas that I've played. Um, you have to understand I come from like definitely 3D Zelda. Like, like I, I started off with that and... Um, I know I've said his name a lot already, uh, but he knows a lot about the game. And he's like, I, I mentioned to Chris, uh, it's like, you know, it's kind of hard coming back to this game because it's so strict with uh, kind of how challenging the combat and the mechanics are. And he's like, yeah, it's really hard to go from a 3D Zelda or some of the newer Zeldas to this game. I think that's very true. Um, so that's one critique I kind of have is that it, when I started playing it, it felt like, uh, very similar to when I started playing Super Smash Bros. Melee for the first time, when I was playing other Smash games that were more lenient in terms of their gameplay. You know, like Brawl is very forgiving and it's like frame data and stuff like that. And when you can input stuff, and 64 is just kind of a very watered down version of Smash. Um, and, and it's very, it's a much different game too. But um, going to Melee, I was just like, Man, all this stuff is like I, I feel like I couldn't move. Not to mention I was playing Kirby, a really crappy character. But um, yeah, in the, in this game in particular, it took me a while to learn how just how to hit the enemies and kind of learn their quirks, so to speak, like uh, their movements, patterns, etc. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I felt a similar way, and I, I think I felt that way without without having phrased it like that in my head because I did find myself thinking, oh, like. I need to time my sword swings more intently than I usually do when I play Ocarina, for example. And I think that's the kind of thing that you're getting at, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, I, you know, you kind of have to be directly in front of the enemy, as whereas I thought, like, I mean, they do give some leniency off to the side when you're hitting him with the sword, but I felt like sometimes I would, I was, should have been hitting him with the sword, but I, I just didn't. And I kind of just had to get, it took me a while to get adjusted to combat. It took me a little while too, but I I came to really enjoy the way that it felt. I think that the controls and the gameplay feels responsive. I do think it takes a little while to get used to if you're coming from a different place like we were, but I think that overall it does feel responsive. Um, the only things that felt loose or unresponsive to me were swimming and walking on ice. Ugh. But but you can tell <laughs> but you can tell that that's by design. They're like it's supposed to be not really you know finessable. I think. I mean, you're literally walking on ice, so yeah, it's supposed to be frustrating. And the swimming, yeah, the swimming doesn't feel tight, as tight as walking, but again, that makes sense. And you also don't spend too much of the game swimming or walking on ice anyway, except for the ice temple, but that's only one temple. It's not, you know, a huge part of the game. Um, so I think that those mechanics, although they don't feel as satisfying as everything else, I think that's forgivable and it's it's intentional. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um yeah, I would just, it's kind of just something I really wanted to point out 
um, it, it's sort of a critique, uh, but then again, given the time in which it was made, it probably wasn't like you wouldn't notice those things, right? Like since we're coming from a place in the future and coming to the past, no pun intended. <laughs> since we're doing that, I mean, I, we have a new perspective on that. But for people playing the game for the first time, and that's kind of the perspective I like to take on these games. And and don't get me wrong, I do consider like has the game aged well in some of my reviews, but it it doesn't normally hinder it a lot. But um, I do think in this aspect, it was pretty difficult for me to play. So it, it's a slight criticism, but not like too much against it. And I definitely do have a newfound respect for people who speedrun this game. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris, we love you. Yeah. I know I'm making it sound like it's like the world's hardest game, and it's definitely not. I'm just surprised at how challenging it actually was. Um, the first two Zeldas I were probably much harder than this one anyway. So, I mean, like... <laughs> yeah. Coming from those, it's probably like, oh, yeah, this game's much better, and people are like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. So, <laughs> so yeah. I felt that Link's range of abilities, I guess you could call it, like like using the sword, using the shield, dashing, throwing items. I felt that all those mechanics were pretty, like, sufficient for the game. Like, I never felt like, oh, I wish I could do this thing or this thing. And and I'm not talking about using items either. Like, I I, I want to talk about the items more later, but I felt like just the, the range of actions that were available to Link felt good and felt like the game was designed around those things in a good way. And I'm curious if you have any opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I do think so as well. Like, eh, kind of in terms of like the animations and stuff like that, you know, like everything just kind of felt smooth. Um, and like, you know, if you press a button or things worked the way that they were intended, is that kind of what? Yeah, things worked the way that they intended. And, um, and you could get into a flow, I think, of the game. Yeah, for sure. Cause, and later in the game, you know, these, these, uh, movements or, and things like that, it, they weren't, as hard to do later in the game. It definitely felt like you could settle into the game and like it had a sort of pace to it. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think that. That being said, I did kind of cram the game in last minute um, and had Chris help me with a lot of it. So there was a lot of aspects that I probably missed out on that were like long-term aspects of the game. Uh, but I do acknowledge them and I can see them, I feel like, so... Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, one of the one of the critiques I have is that I and this also definitely relates to us coming from later Zelda games to play this, but I felt that only having one item slot could be a big hassle at times. There were several times during the game where I thought, "Oh, I need to lay down a bomb and then immediately use the hook shot." I guess, and in the in the Zelda games that we're more used to playing the 3D ones mostly you have like the three C buttons or the three face buttons or whatever so you can choose items much quicker and that was something that definitely spoiled me and I was thinking about it because I was playing on the Game Boy Advance and they had to get a little creative with their button mapping compared to the SNES because uh, the Game Boy Advance had fewer buttons mm-hmm. but I actually looked into what the controls were for the SNES and th- they could have definitely added additional item buttons if they wanted to. Like, the L and the R buttons I don't think were really used for anything. Or at least not anything specific. So they could have totally done that if they wanted to, but at the time that might not have been an expectation the way that it is now. Right. But it was just kind of funky at times. Uh, I would press buttons and I'd be like, oh wait, why am I in this? (laughs) 
yeah, it just it's just something that takes a while to get used to. Like it definitely took me like my second day of playing probably where I was like, okay, now I know internally that this button does this and so on and so forth. Um, but again, like that's an earlier game and the kind of button mapping that we're used to might not have been set as a standard back then. Right. But overall, you're right. Uh, it did feel really smooth, especially as the game progressed. Like Things worked the way they were supposed to. You knew what the items did. Uh, you could kind of like once you settled into it, you could really kind of get a feel for the game, and things felt pretty smooth. Um, it still was challenging at times, but I think it it was kind of designed to be that way. Uh, the combat things can get really frantic at times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's and especially in terms of the, like the combat um, in the dungeons. Like, oh my goodness, it can really o- overwhelm you with the uh, pressure. The pressure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're really just kind of coming at you, especially in the later dungeons with all these enemies, and you're just like, get them off me. And it, especially Ganon's Tower, ugh, ugh. I just felt really overwhelmed. Ganon's Tower is actually one of my favorite dungeons. <laughs> I was also pretty well stocked up with items by that point, um, which actually I did want to mention, I do love the variety of items. I think that they have a bunch of different weapons like the bombs, the hookshot, the boomerang, uh, the fire and ice rod. And they also have some cool defensive items too, like the magic cape and one of the canes. They both kind of do the same thing, but they're both like optional items that give you extra defensive ability. And I, I think that it's cool that the game at times overwhelms you because if you did enough exploring, you should have the tools to handle all of it and to handle it the way that you choose. Like there, there are many different ways you can handle hordes of enemies. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, another thing I really like is. I mean, this was such an ambitious game, in my opinion, yeah. from when they were like making it and developing it. You think about the first two Zeldas, and you think about this one, and you're like, man, like all the things they were able to incorporate, like all of these items and things like this, and like their actions and what they can do within the game, and all this other stuff. And you're just like, man, like this is so ambitious for the development team to take on, and I'm just really impressed by what they were able to do with it. Yeah. One of the parts of the game that took me the longest to get used to from a gameplay perspective was the uh, the issue of height, like things being on different levels. Um, actually, Ego Raptor does a good job talking about this in one of his Sequelitis videos. Uh, listeners, if you guys have any interest in learning even more about this game and also about Ocarina, please look that up. Um, it's a 2D game, but it has the illusion of height because it's not like a pure top-down perspective. It's kind of at a three-quarters view is what we call it. Right, and um, because of that, whenever things are flying above ground level, it, like visually, it doesn't quite jive because, like, a thing will be casting a shadow where you are, so it's like, oh, the thing's above me, but the thing will actually hit you because your sprite is touching their sprite, which sounds kind of dirty, and I swear I didn't mean it that way, <laughs> but <laughs> but you know what I mean? Where like, if you're on Death Mountain and the rocks are bounding down the hillside, which by the way frustrated me very much. Oh my gosh! <laughs> um, yeah, like. They'll, they'll be casting a shadow, so you're like, oh, it's above me, but it'll still hit you, because like the game doesn't really distinguish between depth planes. It's all just a visual illusion. And uh, I don't think that's a problem too often, but whenever there are like flying crow enemies or whenever there are rocks bounding down the hill at you, can like it, it took me a while to remember, okay, like I can't look at the shadow because the shadow is lying to me. I just have to worry about <laughs> the actual sprite. Yeah, I did have uh, issues with that a couple of times, particularly like the, the birds and bats. I didn't yeah. think they were actually going to uh, reach me, but they did. So, <laughs> yeah, I got what you mean there. 
I thought the dungeons were really well made. Um, I agree. They were not like over the top challenging, but they were definitely challenging enough to kind of get you thinking critically. And sometimes you'd spend a little bit of time on a dungeon where you're like, what, what am I supposed to do? But uh, overall, I didn't think it was over the top. Maybe towards the end, it was just kind of like, oh, how, how would I have known that? But you kind of just have to learn and the game kind of teaches you to just do really obscure things you wouldn't think of doing, which is really cool. Yeah, I agree. It, it kind of like leaves you little breadcrumbs or gives you other hints. And and I think the game does kind of train you over time, which I believe you sort of said. Um, I think if you dropped anyone into one of the later dungeons, they would have been like, what the fuck is this? But if you start <laughs> them off easy, then they'll yeah. they'll get the hang of it. Yeah. Um, so last point I really have uh, for the gameplay is I always like to talk about this for the gameplay. Um, is the storyline, uh, and most like most Zelda's, the storyline's pretty good. Um, I believe it takes place after Link dies in Ocarina of Time, where Ganon then takes power and rules over Hyrule for a short bit, but then gets sealed up by seven wise men and is cast into the Dark Realm. And uh, but yeah, there's a whole story to that. But basically, the story's really good, um, and you're trying to stop Ganon from getting back to the light realm, and there's this cool mechanic of moving in and out between the dark and light realm that adds a whole other aspect to the game, yeah. which adds even more to the, man, this was a really ambitious project for the development team to take on. And it's just really cool to see uh, that they were able to add something like this. But I will say at times it can be a little bit like... Uh, it can make things a little bit tedious when I feel like it doesn't need to be, but they are really just trying to drive home that they could do this um so i thought that was really cool yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because that was my last point was talking about the mechanic of traveling back and forth between the two worlds uh so fairly early in the game you get the magic mirror item which allows you to to go between the two worlds but it actually only works in one direction to where you can only go from the dark world to the no wait yeah you can only go from the dark world to the light world with the magic mirror and once you do that, if you want to go back into the dark world, you have to either go into like the little portal that emerged from when you jumped over. Yeah. Or you have to find like a pre-existing static portal to the dark world in the light world. So really, like you can get out of the dark world easier than it is to get into it. Right. Um, and I think that adds to some of the tediousness because sometimes you have to like, you know, warp in the light world and then go somewhere in the dark world and do yada yada yada. Whereas if they had kept it more simple and you could just warp back and forth at will then it would have cut down on the tedious nature. But I'm sure there's a reason that they didn't want to do that. Like, they probably wanted you to to not just switch back and forth willy-nilly and to impose some sort of, like, consequence. Like, oh, you can go back, but, you know, you always have to come back to the home base, or you have to, you know... Yeah. It, I, I, I guess it feels a little more real that way. Like, you can't just play God, basically. Yeah. And, and that's what video games need more of nowadays anyways. More challenging aspects to it I think yeah. like or more consequence as you put it I, I think there needs to be more consequence for video game actions but I don't know that's that's a topic for another day but I agree with you yeah <laughs> I think there is a reason and it's probably I bet it would have made the game really easy somehow there probably would have been some exploit and there probably is some exploit I don't know about but yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if they at first had it to where you could travel back and forth at will and then they realized it broke the game somehow and then they changed it like that, because yeah. if I were designing, my first instinct would be just make it back and forth, no problem. But they uh, they figured out that it would be better to do it their way. I'm sure. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Um, that about does it for me on gameplay. Yeah, same here. Cool. Uh, let's go ahead and give our ratings for gameplay. How about that? I will give it a 9-0, a 90. 9-0. I'm pretty close by that. Uh, I'm at a 88. So nice. I think we had pretty similar opinions there on gameplay. So I'm pretty pretty happy about that. Are you ready for everyone's favorite section? Yes, yes. Aesthetics. Aesthetics. Classic. All right, kick it off, man. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start with the visuals, as we often do. I don't have a whole lot to say about them, actually. Um, for me, it just boils down to them being amazing. <laughs> actually, I wrote down on my notes, so amazing <laughs> visuals. Very, very crisp and clean sprites and tiles, everything. Everything's super colorful, which I love. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had played Twilight Princess a little bit recently because we were thinking about uh, reviewing that for season one. We ended up not doing that. But just going from how dark and dreary that game is to like the explosion of color that is this game, just like jarring. But it works so well. Like it's, it's a pretty cheerful world, I would say, despite the, even the dark world like has fun characters and things like that. And just having such a vibrant color palette and art style really complements it well. Um, everything is easy to see, I think, for the most part, or easy to read, as I would call it in my little designer lingo. Um, I don't feel like anything ever surprises you visually, like, oh, that's bullshit, like, that shouldn't have hit me. Um, I don't think that really happens very much. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does at some points, but not enough to where like it stuck out in my mind. But yeah, overall, I have a few little points that I want to follow up on later, but I want to end my first point by just saying I think overall it's really good, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, one of the things I did write down was that has the game boasts a vast amount of color, um, and I think that was due to the ability, the new abilities of the console that they uh, just released it on. But um, sixteen whole bits, dude! Sixteen freaking bits! And you know, for its time, I challenge you, I challenge you to go and look at Zelda, the first Zelda, and then Zelda two, and then look at this game and realize how far of a jump this game actually was. It's absolutely insane. It, it's super insane. And I can only imagine like playing this game for the first time, having playing the other two like back in the day, and thinking like, oh my gosh, video games have advanced so far. And you know, we would we would laugh at that. We'd look at say it like 2D, you know, pixel art, yeah, advanced so far, but really look at what they advanced from. Like they did so much as an up like just to upgrade this this game from the other two. You'd Oh my goodness, it was it's just it's crazy. Yeah. This was a good year to be a Zelda fan, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for this sure. And uh, Ocarina of Time were probably the two biggest like oh my god moments of all of like Zelda history because you went from 2D to way better 2D. <laughs> and then you yeah. went from 2D to 3D. Yeah, that whole period must have just been like all right, <laughs> this is this is the franchise. And you know what? It kind of you know, I mean, not to say that the first two weren't very important or vital, but I feel like Ocarina and uh, this and Link to the Past were definitely the most influential Zeldas. Am I? Am They're I, definitive, is what I would say. Yeah, I, I don't know how controversial of a statement that is. Probably, probably not very. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for me, they were they're pretty outstanding. But uh, yeah, uh, one thing I just want to uh, point out, like my favorite. Uh, kind of my favorite items, so to speak. I really enjoyed the blue tunic colors yeah. paired with the golden sword and the mirror shield. Mm-hmm. Ultimate swag, dude. Ultimate swag. That's what I was rolling up with all up until I said, 
I should really get the red tunic because I don't <laughs> feel like dying <laughs> against yeah. Ganon. Function over fashion. Yeah, for sure. I think you, Chris, and I are all on the same page, though, of the blue being just so choice. Yeah. So fresh and so clean. I kind of wish it was the... <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure we all do, but I kind of wish it was just the last tunic. Yeah. Red's not bad. Red's not bad. Don't get me wrong. I like red much better in this game than I do in the 3D Zeldas, actually. Yeah, I agree. It's like less red, which I think helps <laughs> for me. Yeah. It's like pinkish, purplish. I think that uh, one important thing about the visuals is that every area looks unique. I think all the dungeons have unique color palettes and sort of visual styles to them. Like the Swamp Dungeon looks different from the Forest Dungeon, which looks different from Turtle Rock on top of Death Mountain. And uh, even the overworld has enough variety that you can generally recognize where you are uh, at any point. You know what I mean? Like they don't repeat features of the landscape, I don't think. So if you've been somewhere before and you go back to that place, you're like, oh yeah, I remember this. Right. Right. And they kind of do... Well, no, that that goes without saying. I was going to say they do when you go to the Dark World, but duh, that's just a mirror image of the of the <laughs> actual thing. So, yeah, you're right. Like each there's a there's a pretty clear and I think that's one of the things they wanted to strive for was there's a very clear and definitive like section or differences between these areas. Um and I definitely do like them like the fog and mist they added to some things or the yeah. environmental features that you could really tell were there. So, I love being on top of Death Mountain and seeing the surface of the world through the clouds. That looks really epic. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do- did think uh, <laughs> that I did think looked really funny was like the rocks falling <laughs> from Death Mountain. They were green and it looked like cabbages just falling down <laughs> on you. <laughs> My cabbages! <laughs> no! <laughs> but uh, yeah, some of the color palette issues they had were it was interesting to see them try to make it work. Um, but uh, some of them just kind of stuck out, um, like like that or uh, Link's pink hair. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I used to think was really weird, but it's actually growing on me. And it kind of fits with the bright color design of the game. It's just that Link's never had pink hair before, so that was kind of weird. I hate to keep saying Chris's name like he's the Lord Jesus himself or something, but Chris, uh, he's a huge proponent of the pink hair. And now after playing the game, I, I think I really can feel that for myself. Yeah. You you channel that. I channel that. I feel that. Um, the only other note I had on the visuals really was, and I, I said this already in gameplay, but that uh, three quarters perspective where it's not exactly top down can kind of mess with you sometimes. Like the the illusion of things being at different heights. That I mean, that is like visuals combined with gameplay. But I already mentioned it, so I don't need to really mention it again. That's about all that I have really on the visuals. Uh, I want to say one more critique is that the menus I didn't think were like amazing and they weren't like super. Yeah, I just didn't think the menus were that awesome or creative. Um, and I don't think they've aged well either, but yeah, that's just my opinion. I would agree with that. I don't think it's a, I don't think for me it's really points off, but uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, that was my last critique. Uh, I wasn't fond of the menus, but yeah, that does it for me too. What is your rating for visuals? I gave it a hot and fresh 92. Well, I'm going to have to one-up you there, buddy boy, because I gave my visuals a 95. Dang. That's actually a three-up. <laughs> God damn it. It's worth yeah. reminding the listeners that I generally 
it took me a while to do the out of 100 scale, as Kevin will tell you. <laughs> but uh, when I did, I still just do increments of five. I don't really sweat the small points very much. Um, That's fair. That's fair. So so my 95 is pretty much the same as Kevin's 92. Yeah, so so far we have pretty similar views on the game. Yeah. Um, going into audio, what I have down is that, you know, I think back in the day, I believe it was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, soundtrack for the SNES console. Really? Um, it was made by our boy Koji Kondo, and yes. uh, is definitely really good for its time. Uh, but yeah, I believe it had the biggest soundtrack. It was like, I don't remember exactly the file size that the soundtrack contained, but I watched a, I think one of those Digino Gaming YouTube videos. You can go look that up. But I believe he mentions it in there. And uh, just how big the file, like they, they they went out of their way to make a really big soundtrack for this game. They thought it would really add to the atmosphere of this game, and I, I I I agree. I think it's a really good soundtrack. It definitely has a lot of classic tracks that are still used in Zelda games to this day. Yeah. So uh, yeah, shout out to Koji Kondo. It's funny you say that about the soundtrack being so big because my one actual critique and. And like I understand that we come from the future, <laughs> we come from the future, and we're spoiled now. But my one critique, really, for the audio is I wish there were more tracks. Right. Um, because every dungeon in the Dark World does have the same theme, and after a while, it's like, all right, you know, it would be cool if there were something else because these are different dungeons and they can start to feel samey when the music's the same in all of them. At least I wish that Ganon's Tower had its own theme because it is, you know, the final area and uh, it has some unique features to it that I think would merit it having its own soundtrack. But I do understand, of course, that back then, what they achieved with the game was already pushing the envelope, as you said. Yeah. Or uh, pushing boundaries, I guess, would be a better way to phrase it. For sure. So yeah, so I can't be too picky. It is just like my modern uh, perspective. Yeah, it just hasn't aged well. Yeah. Like, I I think there's something to be said about that. Like, you know, there are games that, like, that haven't aged well, but you do have to consider what it did for its time and what it brought to the table. However, I think it is fair to hold things against uh like you know a soundtrack not aging well or things like that. It, and I definitely agree it gets very repetitive, but I did add some points to it slightly because I thought given it, after watching that video and knowing this fact, I thought they act, like playing this game for the first time, you're like, man, they have a lot of tracks and you're like they have all this music, but us looking at it now you're like, really this is all you got? But um, yeah, it does get really repetitive, and like the pace doesn't kind of slow down, even though the the, the pace of the game kind of slows down. So you're just kind of like, it makes you feel stressed, even though there's really no reason to feel stressed. So I don't know. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, almost all the tracks are pretty high energy um, and pretty intense. I do. I, I just want to clarify that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that the soundtrack has aged poorly, because I think that the songs themselves and even the instrumentation, if you want to call it that, is still really good, I think. Like, I think the music, I think the songs and the compositions are really good. Um, they are repetitive because the loops are short, and again, that's like a product of the of the time. But, like, these are classic tracks that I think stand very strongly on their own as a soundtrack to a game from this time. You know? Yeah, you're right. You could pick out a lot of good classics. Like uh, my favorite are uh, the Fairy Fountain theme and Zelda's Lullaby. They both come from this game. 
Um, and they are used pretty frequently throughout the series. So, um, shout outs to them for, or to Koji Kundo for making these soundtracks. But, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I just think, you know, I mean, there is some aging that's pretty evident there with the soundtrack as a whole and its body of work. Yeah. And, and you know what? They could only do so much at this time. So, I, I give them that. But at the same time, it still docks a little bit of points, but not too much. So. Although I did say it added points. Make up your mind, dude. <laughs> Actually, that brings up a good point. As a, and this is kind of a general interstate gamer sort of thing, but I, I feel like what I try to do is kind of balance my modern expectations with the context that the game came out in. Because almost all the games we talked about are older games. But I think that's a good way to think about it. Like We do have that balance, and I think that our ratings usually reflect that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like... And the perspective I think we try to get out, not trying to go on too much of a tangent, but uh, for any new listeners or for those who are curious. Get used to it. We do this a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, the perspective that we try to give out is that, okay, uh, you're coming, uh, potentially interested in playing this game. You've never played it before. You've heard it was a good classic or you've never heard of this game. Like, If you were to go back and play it, you know, how would it feel to you and what would you think about the game? That's kind of how we view it. And it's not like, you know, we do take these uh, context, the context of when it was created into consideration, but we also take into consideration, is it worth like going back and visiting? And if it's not, I do think, you know, it kind of docks against that as a game as a whole because it didn't have much longevity to it. So there's, there's both aspects to consider, and I do think we have a good balance between them. Yeah. Um, back to the audio. Kevin, I know that you are a big fan of sound effects. I was wondering what your thoughts were on those in this game. I do really love sound effects. Um, I really like the dash sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, and then like when you swing your sword after you beat a mission. There are, there are some various ones that I liked, uh, but it... It wasn't like the most amazing one. Um, getting a rupee or something is pretty cool. But uh, n- nothing that just kind of like wowed me. But there are some sound effects that I really like, like I said. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think that... I, I think that the sound effects is probably like the weakest part of the game because they're not really particularly noteworthy in my opinion. I, I pretty much have the same opinion as you are. Or as you do. Hmm. Um, but they're still good, and they get the job done. And I think they are unique enough to not feel generic. Like, yeah. when you kill an enemy, it goes like, like some kind of goofy sound. <laughs> and like yeah. it, and it sounds special. It sounds like Zelda, you know what I mean? And, and it, matches, yeah. it matches the appearance of the game, too. Like, the game looks colorful, and it sounds colorful, I would say. Right. So I think that's important, and I think it does that really well. Cool. I agree. I do think it would be cool if the bosses had different sound effects instead of all of them going... <laughs> like, like yeah. why does why does a flying moth bug make the same sound effect as a pile of eyeballs? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> have like You're right. have two different dungeon themes for the dark world and also have two different boss sound effects and then we're golden. You're right, you're right. Much like the Triforce. Maybe they were all extensions of Ganon, so they all made the same sound. <sighs> oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, big brain, Kev. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's something to consider for you, for you, uh, for you mythology fans at home. Yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to say there, but anyway, that does it for me on audio. Yeah, same here. Cool. 
Let, what did you give it, uh, young Pete boy? I gave it an 85. 85, wow. I think this is where we actually differ. Um, so I kind of took the context and a lot of consideration to this one, so I gave it a 94. Yeah, um, you know, I I think I should have done that too. Um, I was flip-flopping on some of these number values, which is the reason why I definitely don't go into like the ones, <laughs> because I, otherwise I'd never be able to make up my mind. Right. Um, but I think from, from a newer perspective, I think an 85 is pretty accurate whereas yeah from from the more you know retro perspective i guess you could call it i definitely would agree with your 94 like this game definitely blew it out of the water when it first landed so right and i i respect the 80 85 was it yeah because i i think you can that's a very very fair criticism that it it can feel pretty repetitive at times and it is a criticism criticism that i had i just thought that man what they did during the day was so great that I, I couldn't I couldn't count our boy Koji Kondo out on it. So yeah, I gave it a ninety four. But I like our differences in this, so don't feel like you have to change it because I feel one way. I'm erasing it right now. <laughs> can you yeah. hear my erasing sound effects? I can. I'm erasing. I'm erasing a blank spot. Don't worry. Anyway, uh, that gives my aesthetics a ninety three. Uh, what is yours rounded to? My aesthetics are a 90. 90. Cool. 90. We're still pretty uh, similar on this one. Like, we're pretty close. Yeah. So, let's see what we got for cone tint. The cone tint. Everyone's favorite part after aesthetics. Aesthetics. Um, so, I guess I'll go ahead and get right into the cone tint. Um, I thought it had a huge amount of content. Yeah. Had I been able to spend more time with the game, I think I would have really enjoyed more of the exploration aspect of the game. I know I had Chris help me run through it really quickly, but I already noticed that had I not known or had I not had someone telling me how to do things, I could have spent so much time on this game just exploring and like going to all the different areas and viewing uh, or going getting all the different items, uh, talking all the different NPCs that you can interact with. I just thought it was so vast, and especially for its day, for something to come out like this, to where someone could buy the game and then spend so much time on it in an era where you know video games weren't just being spit out like they are now, um, you're definitely getting your money's worth. So I thought uh, the content was really the strongest point of this game. Yeah. There are... Uh... There's so many hidden items. There's a bunch of hard pieces, which is now a tradition in Zelda. Um, a lot of the items you can upgrade, uh, such as the Master Sword, such as your arrows, such as the boomerang and the shield. Um, some of the items are even just totally optional. Like the two, uh, the magic cape is one of them, totally optional, as is the cane of something or other. There are two canes. One of them is necessary and kind of generates a little block, and you need to use that for some puzzles. But the other cane just kind of creates like a little force field around you. And uh, those are totally optional. And I love the fact that that's even in the game at all. Like, you know, you put in the time to explore and here's a fun reward for you. You know, like that's that's all it is. Yeah. And that just that just adds, I think, to the sense of scope and the grandeur of this game. Yeah, I agree. 
and don't forget the onion powder, as Chris likes to call it, or like the magic powder that one dude gives you. The time. onion powder. <laughs> I love that he calls it uh, that. I, I, I will never garlic powder. <laughs> I, I will never call it anything else. <laughs> That's funny. I must not have watched his speedruns enough because I don't remember him calling it that. I think he just made it up while we were playing it, honestly. <laughs> but it was pretty great. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And also the the NPCs that you could just kind of run to, uh, run into, and learn their story. Yeah, um, I thought really added to the content of the game. Just the game as a whole is just very in depth, especially for a game at that time. It's just so it's so nuts to think about once again how ambitious this game was. When I was watching the credits, um, and they would show the different NPCs who had, you know, been trapped in the dark world, but then they were restored to the light world and all that stuff. I I felt a little bit of tugging at my heartstrings. Like, and for me, it might have been a little different because I did spread out my gameplay over a little longer time span than you did, just from circumstance. But I would see these characters that I hadn't seen in like a month or so from when I started playing the game, and I was like, oh man, you know, I remember this this little guy, this little girl, and like it. It was nice, like a kind of sentimental, and like, and it's not because I knew much about the characters. It's just because of the world that the game created for me. Like, I felt like I was kind of living in it for a time, and to see reminders of of earlier parts of my journey, it just kind of hit me a little bit emotionally, you know. Right, and I think that's a huge accomplishment, especially for a game from this era, as we often say. Yeah. That's a theme we tend to go back to um, when talking <laughs> about it, but I think it's a very valid, valid statement. It's just it was so crazy to see the jump, and I think this console in general, the SNES, is just it was so revolutionary about what it brought to the table. Um, I think it's definitely fair to bring that into to play here. So, yeah, this game, I think it's fair to say this is one of those games that was like, here's what you can do with this console. Like this is like it's right. a benchmark. I think. Right. Um, I don't want to harp on that too much. We've already also kind of talked about that earlier, so I do want to move on to another little bullet point of mine. You talked about the story in your gameplay section. I talk about mine and the content. It's just kind of a difference of opinion, I guess, Right. as to where we organize it. But also, I differ in my opinion because I actually found the story to be pretty weak. Hmm. Um, not weak as in, like, the... Uh, what's it called, like the setting is bad or the storyline itself is bad or the plot's bad. Like, I don't feel that way about any of those things. It's just that, to me, the storyline is so secondary in the game, which, I hate to say this, but from games of this era, like, that's understandable. Um, usually the only time that you hear about the story in this game is after you rescue one of the seven maidens. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one of them is Zelda. Um, but you, you rescue them, and then they tell you, in turn, bits and pieces of the storyline, like, uh, there was, you know, the seven sages who sealed away Ganon, and then their descendants had these powers, and you're one of those descendants, but you're like the last one. That's kind of what I remember from it. But to me, like, I just found myself just pressing that A button, you know, mashing that MF and A button <laughs> to get through those dialogues because, like, I just didn't really care. Like, I cared more about living in the world and doing things in the world and talking to NPCs who had nothing to do with the grand scheme of things. Like that interested me more than hearing what the, uh, what the what's her name the maidens had to say. And part of it is because they're all very generic, right? Which again, like they only had so much they could do. Um, but you just compare that to a game like Ocarina of Time, where there are so many characters that, like, that are reoccurring, that are memorable, that come back to you and have distinct personalities. Um, and it's just it's just hard not to judge this game against that. 
Um, I didn't judge it harshly in this way. Like, I don't think that the storyline and having characters that you love, like, I don't think that's terribly important to a game like this. Right. Um, I think it's more important to a game like Ocarina. But I just think it's something worth talking about. And it's just interesting that my my opinion just differed from yours in that regard. Right. And now that you mention it, I don't think the game presented that information very well. Um from the sounds of it. And you're right, all these characters that were kind of telling you about the story and what's going on, they're very generic looking and they don't really stand out or do anything uh, super awesome. Um, so it's kind of like, I, I just don't think they presented the story very well, but I do think if you just sit down and actually look and read the story, it's pretty intriguing, um, especially when you consider the, when the timeline is considered. Um, but I think the story is still pretty strong. It's just you're. I, I do see that point now of them not being able to present the information as well, and that there are more intriguing aspects about the game for sure. Um, I really tried to learn the story, um, and it was still very hard because you're right; it is kind of boring just to scroll through some text, right? You know, that's the only thing that's happening. You're staring at this one character; they're staring at you. Nothing's moving. Nothing's going on. It's just text scrolling, and I think. That's one of the, uh, not necessarily faults of the game itself, but uh, what they could do um, given the resources and how the game was presented and given that it is a 2D game. Um, they just didn't like have a lot going on with the story. So I think that was the issue there. Yeah. So maybe we're not on that different of a page than I thought at first when I started my spiel. <laughs> right. Right, yeah. I had that in mind. It just, I guess I never thought to mention it, but I, that is a very valid point. Um, I just was looking at the story before I wrote my notes for the game because I wanted to reiterate what had happened and kind of review stuff. And I was like, okay, this story is actually pretty cool, um, but you don't feel that during the game. Like it's, it's. I think in one of our earlier podcasts during Zero Mission, it's kind of like the Metroid effect where. For me, when I was playing Metroid, I didn't really care what happened, and uh, there really wasn't a lot being told to you in that game. But um, it's just kind of like you play the game, but when you go back and look at the story, you're like, oh, wow, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and that's something that I did not do for this game. Um, I'm I'm sort of familiar with the Zelda timeline overall, and I think that if I had to refresh my memory on that, and then also just read about this game, or the game's story on its own, then I would have had more of an appreciation for that because I, I kind of know the story of Metroid um, like on the other side of things. And so I got more of the story vibe from Zero Mission than you did. And it's just like a total flip situation. But uh, yeah, I, I think that anytime there's a series like this, um, going back and reading the story or reading the context can be really helpful and can help you appreciate the game and the story and just everything that the uh, the developers and the writers put together. Right, and I think, uh, I know you haven't played this game, and this is not really a spoiler, but... Um, Fortnite. I, no, I thought this <laughs> game, <laughs> I thought this game had more, if you go back and read the story, like what, like everything that actually took place and what had happened, I thought this game was a little bit more in depth and had more context um, than Breath of the Wild, in my opinion. Others might disagree. But um, obviously, Breath of the Wild is presented better. But if you just if you were to take the transcript of the story, I think Link to the Past holds up better than Breath of the Wild. Yeah, 
And, and I think that's understandable, and I, I think that's that's intentional, probably. Yeah. Um, but enough about story. Uh, there are a couple other things I want to talk about. I'll just mention them briefly. Um, the first thing is that I think the game does an excellent job of spacing out the upgrades that make you feel a lot stronger. Um, again, you might have had a different experience because you did compress the game into a shorter time frame than I did. But I found that like maybe at the end of some dungeon, I'd think, oh, you know, this dungeon was pretty hard. I feel like I need to hit enemies with my sword a bunch of times or whatever. And then I would get the hook shot. And I'm like, oh, shoot, now I can stun and kill all these enemies that I couldn't before. Or I would get an upgrade to my sword from the from the smithies or the smiths. And uh, then I would just feel so much more powerful. And the game, I think, spaced out those upgrades well enough to where you felt like you were becoming a stronger hero in a reasonable time frame. Or not not a reasonable time frame, but a satisfying one, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree. Um, yeah, I yeah, I actually just agree. I don't have really <laughs> more to elaborate on that. Uh, cool. Well, that makes my job easier, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only other point I had really on the content is that I uh, we we had t- we touched upon this earlier, but the dark world versus the light world. Um, we do talk about how you can use the mirror to travel between the two and how they are in that literal sense, mirror images of each other. But also the dark world is different enough from the light world that it feels like substantial new content, I think. Like some of the landscape does change, locations, landmarks, they change, the enemies are all very different, and they're also more challenging generally in the dark world. Right. There are different NPCs that you can talk to. Like it, it is it is very different. And it doesn't feel cheap to me. It doesn't feel like, oh, let's just give it a color swap. Like they did way more than swap the colors. They swapped just about everything other than like basic geographic features right and uh one interesting thing i think to point out about the light world and the dark world it kind of relates to the story that we were talking about is that uh in the dark world your quote-unquote true uh soul is revealed like your like the nature of your soul is revealed and that's what kind of creature you will be in the dark world so Link, when he is transported to the dark world, is a bunny. And you can't really do anything as a bunny, but he's this cute little pink bunny. And that uh, speaks to his soul being true and pure. Uh, whereas the other enemies kind of represent malicious uh, people in the the world from the light world. Yeah. Um, so if anybody's like nasty or mean or a monster, that's usually somebody in the light world that's like a sick, twisted individual. Or just kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. That's a, See, that's what you get when you uh, do your research and you read that uh, that context and the, the backstory and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Note to self. Do you have any more things to talk about on the content? Because I have, I have a question for you, but I want to see if you have anything else to add before I ask you. Uh, okay, so this is question. Does it relate to content or not? I would say so. Okay. I just want to say, like, if you go and play this game and you, uh, you kind of observe all of this content that we're talking about and the storyline and all these creatures and characters, if you play this game and you go back and you do that, definitely give um, a link between worlds a try, and just kind of observe the differences between it. I think they're very interesting comparisons between the two. While they are, while it is a direct sequel to the game, uh, it's very interesting to notice, like. Um, the similarities and the differences between them. 
I've been interested in playing A Link Between Worlds as well, so that I, I don't know if I'll ever get a 3DS necessarily, but that's something that's kind of on my radar. Yeah, it, it's it's worth a play for sure. All right, what's your cue? My tasty cue for Kev, Ugh, my number one fan, is a <laughs> Shaps Aaron. <laughs> is a if you had a favorite part of the game, and if so, what was it? <sighs> favorite part of the game. Does it have to be a specific scenario that played out, or would it be like it an be. aspect? It, it can be either. Okay. Well, like I said, I really enjoy the content of the game, and uh, I, I want to say that the like the exploration, but I feel like I didn't get to delve into that enough, so it's really hard for me to say that. I really enjoy the aesthetics of the game. Yeah. Getting the different items and... Uh, yeah, really, really getting the different acquiring all the items was really fun, and seeing what each item did and how they worked, um, and upgrading the items. When I was able to upgrade my items, like, oh, that's sick. So um, yeah, kind of really just exploration and finding things. Yeah, I think that uh, that was one of my favorite parts. But another favorite part of mine was uh, was when I felt like I had mastery over Link for the first time. Like once I'd gotten totally used to the controls and I knew what all my items did and. I was like kicking ass in Ganon's tower, getting up to fight Aganim or Aganim, and then Ganon himself. I was like, you know, I I feel like I'm ready for this. I feel like I uh, have learned a lot. I've uh, grown as a person. I have a lot of integrity <laughs> and uh, devotion to the people. You know, um, <laughs> no, but I, I I really did feel like once I got mastery of controlling Link, that's when I really started loving the game. Yeah, that. Yeah, I I want to say I felt like that, but again. <laughs> you know how I played it. Maybe there will be a similar Zelda game or even like a ROM hack or something that you can play uh, without rushing and see if it uh, see if it kind of reveals more of that exploration aspect to you. Yeah, well, I still have to play. Uh, I still like I own uh, Link Between Worlds and I haven't beaten it yet, so I uh, can stick to that. Although that game is really, they're really into their dungeons in that one, so that's kind of what turns me off from the game. It's like, the dungeon is way too elaborate, and that's what I appreciate about this game. <laughs> Actually, going back to it, I'm like, alright, the dungeon isn't over the top. It's like, alright, there's some challenging aspects, but you're not like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was just too much for me. I see what you mean. I see yeah. what you mean. Like, I spent more time figuring out the dungeon than like fighting enemies in a link between worlds and a link to the past. It was just like, okay, there are some really challenging enemies that I need to get by. And it was more about that than it was the dungeon itself. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Are you ready to wrap up the content? Let's wrap that up. All right. Well, I gave content a 95. Dang. We are pretty similar. I gave it a 97. Hell yeah. Some of our highest ratings for content. Yeah, for real. Uh, I think we had. A really high content score in another game, but I can look at that another time. You know the scores, IG fans. Um, so let's let's tally up our results here. I actually already have mine ready to go. Nice, me too. Okay, cool. So averaging all mine up together, I think I get a 92.667, which rounds up to a 93 overall for uh, Link to the Past. Nice. Well, uh, my overall score, again, very similar. It's almost like we're... Uh... Like we're on the same wavelength here. Whoa. I got a ninety-one point seven for my overall score, aka a ninety-two. Dang. 
So that'll put us at like a 92.5, which rounds it up to 93. Yeah. Well, I don't think we do quite that much rounding, but uh, yeah. Either way, this game's scoring high up there. Oh, we don't? Okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. I think you just take the average first and then you round it, right? Yeah, well, that's some nitty-gritty that doesn't really matter in this uh, <laughs> in this particular moment. People can go onto a tinyurl.com slash IG ratings to see the exact breakdown if they so desire. But uh, the point is, is that this game is good. It's very good. It's really fucking good, actually, I would say, if I may be profane for a moment. Right. Yeah, and the reason I was kind of trying to figure out that discrepancy, I was trying to figure out where it ranks amongst our games. And I'll put it really like somewhere around Star Fox 64 and Banjo-Kazooie at number two and three. So that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, those are all classic games in their own right. And uh, I think LTTP is in good company among them. For sure. That'll put two... I'm not sure exactly. I think it might go below Banjo if I'm looking at it right. But that put two Super Nintendo games in the top five. So Yeah, well, it was a great console. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that does it for this episode, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we're keeping yeah. this one a little a little lean, a little clean. Uh, not so many segments, more just about the, uh, the meat and taters this time around. But uh, we'll see. We might have some fun little segments for you guys in the future. We'll, we'll think about it, Kevin and I, Yeah, and uh, get back to you on that. But, Kevin, where can the people find us? The people can find us at, I believe it is... On Twitter, on Twitter they can find us at the ig underscore cast. Um, so again, that is the ig underscore cast, um, and you can definitely follow us there. I I've been pretty active on Twitter lately, um, having a lot of fun with that, tweeting out some uh, like hints to the upcoming episodes, or like asking the people. Um, about their integrity and honor. And <laughs> How's your integrity today? Is it good? <laughs> Any qu- like uh, just polls uh, and there, stuff like that. Is your integrity running? <laughs> but um, yeah, so it, it's been really fun uh, interacting with the the fans out there. The, what what little we have. But if you have any questions for us, definitely let us know. Uh, we have a really really cool season um, lined up for you guys, and some hopefully special guests um so stay tuned for that uh lots of cool games this season again um, i'm really excited to do this we also have a facebook i do want to mention that can find us on there although i don't the only thing i really post there are like either important stuff or uh links to the episode it's just for people who just prefer to use facebook um and then you can find us at our website as well obviously if you found us already, you kind of really know the gist of where to get our podcast stuff. But we do have a website. Yeah. Um, it's review. You can find us there. And all of our ratings will be posted, as we've already mentioned, at tinyurl.com slash IG ratings. So those are all the places. Yeah. When in doubt, just Google The Interstate Gamers and you'll find us. Don't even worry about it. Are we that popular now? Have we made it? I believe there was only one, one really old ass like Google Sites website that was called Interstate Gamers, but it hasn't been updated in years. So uh, I'm not too worried about it. But right. uh, yeah, I think I think we're I think we're up there, um, which is good because we definitely slaved over this name for a long time. So I'm glad that it worked out. 
from that regard. Right. But yeah, I think there was one more. Oh yeah, if you want to listen to us, you're obviously listening to us right now on something, but in case you like having options available to you, uh, we are on Spotify, we are on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes. Um, we are on something else. Google, Google Play. Play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I've had some people interested in listening to us on YouTube because I have some friends who listen to just about everything on YouTube. So uh, I might do that. Um, if you want that, definitely let me know because that'll motivate me to do it. Um, otherwise, I'm just kind of sitting pretty um, <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the avenues you already have. I want it. <laughs> you want it? All right. Yeah. Well, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I care very much. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like there's something else that we need to let the people know, but I don't think there is. I think I'm just having like phantom pain kind of. It's just we haven't done this in a while, you see. We're kind of rusty. <laughs> a little bit rusty. A little bit rusty. Uh, well, we could talk about what we did over the break. Uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, you're right. Any any gaming adventures we might have had. Um, or or expedites, as some might call it. I know Peter has been particularly interested in Japanese cartridges lately. That's true. Uh, I've gotten a couple cartridges. Mainly, I'm trying to get carts that uh, have interesting differences from their English versions, other than the language difference. For example, Star Fox 64, one of my favorite games of all time, as our avid fans know. Uh, that game has entire you know Japanese voice acting. It's really cool to hear that. I don't speak Japanese, and I don't understand any of it except for like some catchphrases that you learn from anime. But, uh, you know, that's a cool thing, so I want to have that. There was a couple others as well that I'm getting. Some of them are in the mail right now. Um, but actually, one of Kevin and Chris's and Katie's own gaming adventures is what got me interested in that. And Kevin, I think you know what I'm talking about, probably. Low Tier City 6? <laughs> 7? <laughs> well, how many is it now? <laughs> I think it's I don't six. remember. Yeah, 6. Um... Yeah, that was really fun. It was uh, in Dallas, Plano. Um, it was a gaming convention slash tournament, uh, a Smash Bros. tournament, uh, which was Katie's first tournament, so it was really cool to take her and her, for her to see all that, and she really enjoyed it, so that was good. I also took my brother, uh, who went with us, and that was his first big major, uh, so he knows what it's like to go to now. Um, <laughs> so it was really fun. I got a lot of cool like stuff, like... I got some posters of Dreamland. I got a Super Smash Bros. like a uh, box art poster, which is really sick. Yeah. I got a new controller redone. My GameCube controller redone. I've already posted it on the uh, Twitter, so if you want, if you're curious about it, you can go look at it there. Um, that was really cool. I've had a lot of fun this summer um, playing on my Switch. And uh, actually playing indie games recently. So I've been thinking about doing like a small, short, little like indie segment uh, here and there between this season. But that's that's up for discussion. It's probably just um, me talking about indie games. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that'd be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, like just just something really short and sweet. Like, okay, I heard about this indie game. This is what it looks like. Yada, yada. So nothing, nothing crazy, but I've been thinking about it. Yeah, the reason why I segued over to Kevin the way that I did is because he was sending me just all these wonderful photos of all of the stuff that they were looking at and buying at Low Tier City. And I was like, man, well, they sent me some uh, some photos of the Japanese box arts and cartridges, and some of them are really cool and different yeah. from the ones that we're used to here in America. And I was like, oh, man, I want some of these for myself. 
So that uh, that definitely sparked my new interest. And uh, yeah, I'm not trying to go down too big of a rabbit hole. Um, actually, these carts are a lot cheaper than I would think. Uh, yeah. They're not they're not all that rare. Uh, most of them, it turns out. Um, but you know, I don't want to start collecting too much stuff. But it is fun to start kind of collecting something again. My my N64 cart collection has grown so much over the past like six months. It's actually insane. Like I have a huge percentage more games <laughs> than I did just uh, six months ago. So my childhood collection is definitely filling out in, yeah. my, in my old age of 24. Yeah, and Peter will be doing Japanese cart reviews soon, so stay... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, Nani? <laughs> you know how I felt like I was forgetting something? I just remember what it was. What? We can't sign off this episode without giving a huge shout-out to our friends, the Yeastie Boys. Uh, they have mm. been keeping up their craft. Kevin is salty because Aaron skipped a question. <laughs> there, I said it. It's out there in the open. You guys can talk about it later. <laughs> but in general, we love them, and they love us. And they've been they've been doing a great job hyping up their audience for our new season. So if, if anyone is coming from the Eastie Boys, thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Um, but they've been keeping it going over the summer while we've been taking our very selfish break. Yeah. Um, and we... I think we have a great relationship and we love them. They love us and definitely go listen to them. If you want to hear some boys talking about some fun stuff and drinking good beer. Yeah. And tune in for the next episode to be released after this podcast. That's when my question should be read. So, <laughs> Mark your so. calendars, boys, for Kevin's question. Coming soon. It's a good one. No, nah, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, I love the UC boys. I love you, Aaron. You're my homie. All right. Well, that does it, man. I am. I am ready to sign off on our first episode of season two. Me too. So thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more. And until next time. Oh shit. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.